Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. excited about what God is doing in general at City Chapel. I'm just, I'm just a little bit fired up. I don't know how much of my sermon I'm actually going to get to today. I'm wrapping up, I'm wrapping up a sermon series called um, Tougher Than Hell. And we've been looking at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, I will build my church. And the, uh, the King James says the gates of hell. Uh, the, 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 the New Living says the powers of hell. All the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. Um, Jesus said, I will build my church. Well, the kind of church he's building is one that is tougher than hell because all of hell is going to come against you, but it's not going to be able to conquer you. And I'm just excited about the kind of church that God is building uh, right here in South Austin. I, I, I see kind of two sort of elements. One, I see people that God's building, right? And so I look out on this, on this, on this congregation. I see a lot of faces that I know and love that we've had lunch and, and breakfast and dinner with, and, and you've been in my small groups, and I've talked to you. And over the past two and a half years, you know, we, you really get to know stories. And so I'm excited about the stories that I see in this room, the individual victories that are happening, the individual growth that is that Jesus is building his church. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited about everybody's not at the same place. Some of us, some of us like, like the foundation is down, and they're working on the studs. Uh, some of us already got the studs. Um, and God's working on other stuff. But um, <laughs> some of us, it's, 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 more, it's more the roof, it's the ceiling. There's different levels. Of it. Some, some of us here who are here in this room, like the foundation hasn't even been laid. It's just all the, all the material has been brought to the place. And there's a, there's, there's, there, there's a dump truck and there's a, there's a digger and there's a few other things. And you're looking around going, why is God bringing all this into my life? Well, he's going to build his church. He's getting ready to build his church. And so at every level, I'm excited about these individual stories, but I'm also excited about the bigger story of City Chapel, that, that God's building, literally building his church right here and right now. And his church is not a building. So this is not an announcement for, hey, we got a building. No, the, 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 this, is, this is an announcement that we don't need a building because we got people that God is building. That is the church. The church is not a building. The church is the people uh, that, that are a part of the family of God. And so, and so as, I, as I've said before, um, uh, we, do not, we do not allow uh, the uh, drinking of Starbucks in the church. So uh, there is no drinking of coffee in, in the sanctuary. Um, you cannot drink coffee in the church because the church is drinking coffee. So you have to think about that for just a second. Some people are like, so you, so you can bring the coffee into the sanctuary? Can I really drink that? Yes, Colin, you can drink that. Because we don't drink coffee in the church. The church is drinking coffee. You all are the church. There is no church outside of the people of God. There, there, there are buildings, but those buildings are not the church. The church is the people of God. And so when, as God builds his people, God builds his church. And so what I'm seeing is God building individuals. And also I'm seeing God build this larger community that we call the church. 
And so this is our second week of having two services of 9.30 and 11.15. Why? Because God is building his church. He is adding to his church. He is, he is growing his church. He's bringing people who are far from God and bringing them into a place where they can come to know God. I'm excited about the, the many ways that, that God's building his church, not just like in this particular uh, a room, but also outside of this room. Uh, and I know I've been talking about it quite a bit, but I'm going to keep on talking it because uh, I'm kind of fired up about it. But we have our Keep Kids Fed ministry right over here that we started a year and a half ago. Uh, we started uh, last summer when we moved into Williams Elementary and found out that 82% of the kids who go to Williams Elementary depend on food programs uh, for, for their lunches and, 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 and stuff here at the school. And so the first summer... Uh, we decided to reach out and keep kids fed. We're very innovative in our in our in our titles. Um, we're 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 super super catchy. We think about it for a really long time, and then we name ministries. And so we wanted to keep kids fed, so we called this Keep Kids Fed Ministry. And what 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 happens is the kids who go to Williams Elementary get a letter from from the school saying, "Hey, there's a church able to feed you through the summer." And it started off in the summer, and I think we had three families, like six kids, and and several of you all adopted the families, and it was awesome. You guys, the church, adopted the families, right? It wasn't Pastor Harry, it, although I did contribute, but it was, it was the church reaching out, delivering food to these families, and, and, it, and it touched their heart because they, they're relying on food, and we are now bringing them breakfast and lunches Monday through Sunday in the summer, and it was awesome. We got letters. We got little crayon letters like from kids telling us how good the food was, which that's important. Like, you don't drop off a bunch of nasty stuff kids aren't going to eat. You give them stuff that they will actually enjoy. Anyway, that's a whole nother sermon. But, you know, and so the kids enjoyed it. They were fed. It was good. We go into the fall of last year and we said, let's feed them on the weekend because the school's feeding them throughout the week. And so, and so we adopted more kids. Uh, the church grew as we adopted more kids. More of you all started donating. And so you all are growing in your faith and in your generosity. Meanwhile, the church is growing. I don't know. I think we had nine or eight kids last fall. And then we, we did it again in, in, in the winter. And then this, this past summer, I think we had something like 10 kids that we were feeding every, every week. And now we're feeding 83 kids on a weekend uh, of, through the Keep Kids Fed program. And, and now it's way bigger for like just one person to run around and deliver, right? Now we got to drop it off to different, the, the two different schools, Betacheck and Williams Elementary, are, are, are both opening up their doors and allowing us to deliver this food um, to these kids through the, through the school faculty. And I'm excited because that, to me, is, is the church growing. Because we're not keeping kids fed in order to keep kids fed. <laughs> We are keeping kids fed in order to, to change the mindset of church in South Austin. This is the church growing. I wish every church would adopt a school. I wish every church, whether they met in a school or not, would say, hey, you know what, what needs do you have? And let us use our resources to meet your needs. Because if the church isn't there to bless people, then what exactly is the church there to do? So I'm excited about the fact that the reputation of the church is growing. Not just the church, but, but people are beginning to think of the church. And not just because of us, but there are several churches in South Austin that are reaching out and ministering to their communities. And I'm excited about the church, the big C church, growing in its influence in South Austin. That the church is not just being known. Uh, typically, typically, the church has been known for three things. Number one, being judgmental. Number two, being hypocritical. 
Because every time you hear about the church on the news, it's because some dumb pastor had an affair with his secretary or something. And, and, and number three, they want your money. That's pretty much what the church is known for in Austin. They're, they're judgmental, they're hypocritical, and they just want your money. But in all fairness, most of the interaction people have had with church kind of confirms that. Because they, they, they posted a photo of them on a Saturday night and their Christian friend was judgmental of what they were doing. Well, it's quiet in the house of the Lord. I, I know the church isn't going to shout you down, but this is what we're trying to change. Like, this is what I'm excited about shifting. I'm excited that people come into this place and do not feel judged and do not feel looked down upon, that no matter what they look like, smell like, are wearing, how many tats they got, like, they're, they're still loved. All right, all right. And, 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 and like, like that, to me, is the reputation of the church growing, not only in that sense, but also in the sense of being hypocritical. We, I, I'm excited about the fact that we just claim to be the world's okayest church. That way, there's no hypocrisy, because like, you know, like we're right in the middle. And so if you find some bad stuff about us, that's right. Otherwise, we wouldn't be right in the middle. You know what I'm saying? It's, I mean, I mean we're, we are the world's okayest church. And so we, we openly admit to being human, openly admit to making mistakes. We're trying our best, but gosh darn it. We're in the middle. It's the world's okay as church. But also, we are changing the perception. And God's changing. the God's growing his church with regard to a church that just asks for something from people. That we are becoming known as a church that is wanting to give something to people. That instead of knocking on people's doors, asking them to support our mission trip so we can go halfway around the world and tell those people about Jesus while we ignore our neighbors. And anyway, I'm just saying, instead of asking for sinners to pay for us to go tell other sinners about Jesus, why don't we just bless the sinners that are in our own backyard? Why don't we just love on them? Why don't we just let them know that Jesus came to give, not to take? He didn't come to, 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 to ask them to, well, can, can you support my ministry? No, it's not about that. The church can support the ministry. Meanwhile, the church, the people of God, can reach out and give and give and give and give and show the heart of God to their community. So I'm excited about the church that God's building. I'm excited about it. That's, that, that's not our only ministry, but honestly, that's the ministry that's just kind of like taking off. Like it's just like, like, you know, just like, just like we went from 19 kids to 83 three kids so obviously god's doing something god's building something right there and, and i'm and, and i'm just kind of excited about because that's 83 kids that we have a chance to influence for the kingdom of god that's 83 kids that that in 10 years from now when they think about church they're going to think about those nice people who delivered food to their door they're not going to think about some judgmental anti this anti that anti this other people they're going to they're, they're going to real they're going to think about a church that loves them and so this is a long play. It's a long play for us. We're not trying to pack our church tomorrow through Keep Kids Fed. We're, it's not going to happen. Because those kids can't even drive here. We do have a bus. We can take 10 at a time, and that's cool. But this is, a, this, is, this is for influence. This is for shifting the atmosphere. This is for changing what you think of when you think of church. This is for, this is for uh, people actually reaching out to us this week because they know about the stuff that we've been doing and they're asking for help when they can't really feel like they can ask anybody else for help. And so I'm excited that the church is a place where people can look for help. God's building his church. He's building the reputation of his church. He's building the influence of his church. He's changing what people think of when they think of church. 
And I'm excited about that. And, and the way that God does that, as we've been talking, is in Romans chapter 8. So uh, we're going to read through this one more time. This is the last week of Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, uh, 35 to 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, this is the agenda of the enemy in our life. And by the way, you do have an enemy. Um, if you haven't figured that out over the past six weeks, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, you seriously, you need help. Uh, who shall separate us from love? Well, there's an enemy trying to separate us. These are the ways that he does it. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, and nakedness. We talked about all of those so far. And today we're going to talk about peril and sword. These are ways the enemy tries to separate us. But uh, as it's written in in Psalm uh, 44, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted uh, as sheep for the slaughter. And verse 37, thank God for verse 37, Yet in all of these things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conqueror means to, number one, obviously conquer, but then number two, more than conquer is to enslave. So not only has Christ conquered the enemy, but now Christ has enlisted the enemy in his service. He has he is enslaved the enemy. In all of these things, not away from all of these things, but in the middle of all of these things, we are more than conquerors. God uses these things to build us. God uses tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword to build us. In all of these things, we are not just conquerors, not just escape artists, but we are more than conquerors. God is not going to save us from these things, but in the middle of these things... God is doing something inside of us. So much of this sermon series has been about uh, looking at difficulty differently. Learning to look at the difficulty in our lives differently. And today I want to talk about the last two, peril and sword. And so my sermon title uh, for today is Three D's. And uh, I got it on the screen for, for, for you to check out. But danger, death, and deodorant. Those are the three, the three D's word of the Lord today. I hope, I, I, I hope you have at least one of those with you right now. Um, <laughs> a little bit of deodorant can go a long way. Uh, we, when you do, especially when you do junior high ministry, we've done, I don't know if you've ever done junior high ministry, but uh, you go on youth camp and, uh, and you're in the boys dorm. It's, uh, it's always good to bring a couple extra sticks of deodorant because they haven't thought about this stuff because they haven't, they didn't realize. And it's like, yep, you're going to need this, bud. Just like wrap it up. And I know, I know, I'm like, is, is this, dang, this, this is dangerous, actually. Deodorant is dangerous in Austin because everybody's like scared of aluminum. And, uh, and, and, I, and I get it. Don't use antiperspirant deodorant because it'll kill you. Um, no, just kidding. That was, that was, that, 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 that's, that's kind of like an urban myth. But anyway, an urban legend. I mean, 20 years from now, they're going to be telling us that we are the word, the word aluminum deficient. We're going to be taking aluminum pills. So, you know, do whatever you like. I mean, have some deodorant if you like, just, you know, help the brother out. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I'll be staying, I'll, I'll be in the house just hanging out and I'll, I'll just be like, like you ever do that? Like you just something, I don't know. I have a strong, I have a good sense of smell. So every once in a while, I just kind of. Like there's something going on. And it's not, but it's not always bad, but for some reason, Ro always assumes the worst. She always just looks at me and is like, what? What? What, what do you think? What? 
It's like so judgmental. I feel so judged all the time. Just, I mean, I'm like, honey, you smell like flowers. That's what I was going to say, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, anyway, danger, death, and deodorant. Deodorant is helpful to have. I, I, I hope you came equipped today because we're going to read a bit of scripture from Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 3, and we're going to look at why you might need a little bit of deodorant. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold uh, whose height was 60 cubits and its width was 6 cubits. So that's 90 feet by about nine feet. He set it up in the plain of uh, Dura in the province of Babylon. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And uh, I'm getting feedback. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, but he sets it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather uh, together the satraps, I guess, satraps, San Antonio traps, the (laughs) administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces. In other words, the people he had captured as he, as he had gone through uh, all of the Middle East and conquered country after country after country. Uh, he then took their princes and their kings and made them San Antonio traps and administrators and all that stuff. And, and so he calls them all together. Right? This, is, this is a lunch at, luncheon at the White House. And, and, and it's a king, Nebuchadnezzar. He, he brings them to this statue. So the satraps and, and all of those people, the judges, the officials of the provinces, uh, gathered together for the dedication of the image that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had erected, had set up. And they stood before the image, 90 feet tall, stood before it. And then the herald cried out aloud. He said, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery uh, in symphony with all kinds of music. You shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship, remember this is the image of Nebuchadnezzar. He's, he's, he's reinforcing the fact that he's defeated them. He's reinforcing the fact that he is now their leader. He is now their God. What he says goes. So he says, look, I'm, I made this big image of myself. We're going to play some music. And then you're going to bow down. And uh, then there's a little bit of uh, reinforcement, a positive reinforcement here. Whoever does not fall down and worship the, the thing that the Nebuchadnezzar has set up uh, shall be cast immediately into the midst of a fiery, a burning, fiery furnace. And it's hot. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music. I wonder if anybody waited for the all kinds of music. So we see, we got the flute, we got the, is Beyonce stepping up? I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm waiting. I, they, you know, probably just at the flute. I think, I think they just started kneeling at the flute. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the symphony, all kinds of music, all the peoples and nations, languages, they all fell down and worshiped this golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, um, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews because there were a few Jews satraps in the midst and they spoke and said to king nebuchadnezzar o king live forever you o king have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn the flute and all that other stuff shall fall down and worship the gold image and whoever does not fall down and worship the image will be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace there are certain jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province in babylon their names are shadrach meshach and abednego These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the gold image that you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar 
in rage and fury, gives the command to bring these three Hebrew amigos uh, to him. So they brought the three amigos to the king. This is, this is a little bit of, this, this is the message version. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image I set up? Now, if you are ready at this time, notice what he's saying. If you're ready, I mean, I, I get it. You were, you were waiting for Beyonce, and, and, and we don't quite have all kinds of music. We just have some kinds of music, right? You're waiting for the all kinds of music. I get it. But if you're now ready, if this is a good time for you, uh, at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, then you'll fall down and worship the image that I've made, and that'll be good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And this next question is where I want to land. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Uh, Romans chapter 8 tells us that we are going to face peril and sword. If, you, if, you, if you're trying to do anything good in this life, if you're trying to follow God, you're going to face peril and sword. Peril is danger. It's danger. It's, 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 it's danger of what is coming. So the three Hebrew amigos are standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, why don't, like, why don't you bring them a little closer to the furnace and then we'll ask him to do it again. This is interesting because uh, Nebuchadnezzar, had, he doesn't have to do this. He had already told them, look, if you don't bow, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. But from chapters 1 and 2, Nebuchadnezzar has already established a bit of a relationship, especially with Daniel. And these guys are Daniel's buddies, also Hebrews, um, slaves captured by Babylon. So it's almost like he's being a little bit merciful. And he's saying, you know what, let's give you another shot at this. Let's give you another chance. Maybe you didn't quite hear the, 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 the announcement quite right. And so let's bring you a little closer. Let's remind you about the furnace. Let's get you a little closer to the furnace so you can start to feel the heat of the furnace. And, 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 and this is what I would call peril, right? This is danger. And this is what the enemy will often bring into our life. He will bring danger into our life. He will allow us to feel the heat. He will allow us to feel the heat of what is coming. He'll allow us to feel the heat of what he is working on. And he'll allow us to feel the heat of what others maybe are working on in order to destroy us. He, he will allow us to feel the heat of, of what is coming. And then in the middle of that heat, I don't know if anyone's ever felt the heat before, but in the middle of that heat, he'll offer the same temptation. Sometimes the same temptation that you wouldn't fall to in the coolness of, 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 of the field of Durin, you will fall to when you start feeling the heat of the furnace. Sometimes the temptation that wouldn't work starts working when you're feeling the heat. Sometimes danger creates in us desperation. Sometimes that desperation can cause us to lower our, our standards, to lower our convictions, to lower our values, to lower who we are, to, to give up on, on, on the dreams that God put inside of us. Sometimes when you're feeling the heat of a, of a situation or, or perhaps a deadline or perhaps a marriage that, that, is, that is falling, sometimes when you're feeling the heat of, of a, uh, what, what was it Rich Mullins said? It's so hot inside my, my, my soul, there, I swear there must be blisters on my heart. Sometimes you're feeling the heat and it's baking inside of you and it's burning inside of you and you're feeling that heat and you will do things in the middle of, of desperation that you wouldn't do otherwise. 
And the enemy knows that. So the enemy brings the heat. The enemy brings heat into our life. He brings danger into our life. And the purpose of danger is to instill fear in you. The purpose of danger is to instill fear in us. As we feel the heat of the furnace, as we realize and recognize the threat of our own physical safety or, or, or emotional stability, as we recognize the threat of what could happen, then fear starts to set in. I don't know if any of you have been in that place where you're standing in front of the loss of a job, you're standing in front of the loss of a career, the loss of a reputation, the loss of whatever it might be. Uh, I don't know if you've been in, the, been in that place, but when you're feeling the heat, fear starts creeping into your heart. And this is the question that, that he poses. Technically, it's supposed to be a, 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 a theoretical question, right? This is, this is not an actual question, but, but, but it is a question. Who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? What he's asking is for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, to imagine in their minds what's coming. So he's like, guys, just think about this. Just, just you know, survey your options. You're going to get thrown into the furnace, and then what? What are you going to do when we drop you burning alive into the middle of this fire? What's he doing? He's getting them to... Imagine to think about what's coming. And that's exactly what fear always does. Fear always asks the question, what would you do? Right? All of the what ifs in the world really come down to what would I do if I lost that? What would I do if I lost them? What would I do? What would I do? That's, that's the question that keeps us up at night. That's the question that drives us crazy. That's the question that creates the heat inside of our heart because we're constantly wondering, I don't know what I would do when I get dropped into the furnace. I mean, this thing is coming and, and, and the enemy fear will always ask you that question because it's a trick question. Because the answer honestly is... If you drop me in the fire, I'm going to scream like a little girl <laughs> for probably 30 seconds, and then there won't be anything. I mean, it's not going to be good, right? I mean, like, it's just, like, it's clearly, this is not going to work out for me. So, you know, it, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult question to answer because, honestly, the only answer is really, really bad, and that's why it's fearful. That's why it's scary, because the only answer that you can think of to that question, what are you going to do when you get dropped in the furnace, is it's not good. And that's what fear does. Fear asks you to put yourself in a place that you are not really there. In your mind, it asks you to imagine. To imagine the worst. To imagine what are you going to do if. This happens. And that's the question that Nebuchadnezzar asks. Why? Because he's trying to instill fear. He's trying to say, what would you do? And, and, and this is something that I just want to warn you guys about because this is, what, this is what keeps you all awake at night. And this is what fills your heart with anxiety is you're trying to figure out some way in which, uh, what a, some way to answer this question without being fearful. And you cannot answer this question without being fearful because the question itself is set up to instill fear inside of you. What would I do if I, if I lost a child? What would I do 
if, I, if, if, if this marriage ended? What would I do if, if my job went away? What would I do? What would I do if the economy crashed? What would I do if ISIS, you know, snuck up through Mexico? What would I do? Like, there's a lot of what would I do? Like, you know, and, and it, it'll, it'll keep you up at night. It'll, it'll, it, you won't be able to sleep. You'll be struggling with anxiety because you're trying to answer this question in a way that doesn't make you scared out of your mind. And you can't answer this question because Jesus himself said that he would be with us, right? He said, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. I will be with you to the ends of the... You cannot go somewhere that God is not going to be with you. He's already promised his presence with you. He's promised that he will be with you. Uh, he'll never leave you or forsake you, is what he says in Matthew. He's, he's not going anywhere. He's going to be with you, and that's true. You cannot go anywhere that he is not with you, but your mind can go somewhere where he is not with you. This is what fear tries to do. Fear tries to get you in your mind to go to a place where grace cannot keep you. This, that's, what, this, that's what fear does. Fear says, how about you put yourself in this situation? How about you just imagine this? And so you imagine it, but God hasn't asked you to walk it. And so in your mind, you go to a place that God has never asked you to go. And so God has not given you the grace to handle. Because he said, I will be with you anywhere you go. I will be with you. So, so if you go through the loss of a marriage, I will be with you in that. If you go through a loss of a job, I will be with you in that. I will not be with your imagination. I will be with you. So he's promised his presence to help us in whatever situation we actually go through. <laughs> it, was a French, it was a French philosopher who said, I've suffered, I've suffered many awful things in my life some of which actually happened. <laughs> because your imagination, though, can create the exact same feeling as if you were going through it, and in your mind, you were like, that's so awful, I couldn't handle that, and it's true, you can't handle it on your own. Nebuchadnezzar is asking them to put themselves in the fire before they actually go in the fire so that they will feel what the fire is like in their mind when God is not even with them in the fire. When you read the scripture, you realize that they don't actually go into the fire alone. But in their mind, they would. And so that's why, that's why this next, that's, 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 why their, that's why their answer to him is so, is so great. And the next verse, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. <laughs> we have no need to answer you. When fear calls, you have no need. You have no need to answer. They said, they said look, Nebuchadnezzar, I know. I know what you're trying to do. I know you're trying to ask the question. Oh, you're trying to. Oh, hey, see, look. See, look right there. See, it says fear right there. Like, you can just, oh, that's fear calling. There you go. Just, 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 just hit decline. You can go to my voicemail. 
no need, no, no need to, I have no need to, I'm preaching, I'm doing other stuff, I don't know what's going on here, I have no, like some, there's, there's some calls you just don't need to answer, you know what I'm saying, because you're busy, I mean, don't people know, 10, 40, 10, 40 in the morning on Sunday morning, when fear calls, like there's, there's no need to answer, you don't have to answer that question, what would you do? And this is what they do. They don't answer the question. They don't answer it. They say, if it is that case, if it is the case, if what you say is true, because what you say isn't necessarily true. We're not necessarily going in the fire. But if it is true, if and when it is true, this is what we do know is our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand. So the question is not what would I do, but what could God do? What could God do if I went into this situation, if this happened in danger or in death? What could God do? They said, yeah, we're, we're not really thinking about what we would do. We're thinking about what God could do. He is able to deliver us from your furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. But even if not, let it be known to you, King, that we will not serve your God, or worship this idol that you have set up. In other words, we have already determined we're not serving God for a result. Our resolve is not because we're looking for results. We have already determined that we are only going to serve God. And so in that way, they were dead before they even, before they even got to the furnace. This is, this is how you cheat death, is you die before you die. <laughs> this, is, this is how you cheat death. You die before you die. They, they had already resolved in their mind that they were not going to bow before Nebuchadnezzar because they had already bowed before God. If you have already bowed before God, you can stand before your temptation. But the reason why you keep falling before your temptation is because you haven't bowed to God in private. But if you can bow to God in private, if you can die before the threat of death comes to you, if you can die before, before it happens, then you can face death unafraid because you're already dead. Your plans, your will, your desire is already dead. Your agenda is already dead. Because that's why people don't want to die, because they still have so many things left they want to do. But when we lay those things down, then danger is not a threat to us, because death is not a fear to us. Because God's will is what is important. We've already put on the deodorant. Deodorant is what you put on before you feel the heat so that when you feel the heat, you don't stink. <laughs> it's a decision you make before you feel the heat. And that's why I'm excited about, especially about kids being baptized. So those are the kids that are going to be baptized today? That's awesome. Before they feel the heat of being a teenager, they're putting on the deodorant. <laughs> hmm. Some of you might want to follow in their example. Before you feel the heat of a temptation, before you feel the heat 
of a temptation for an affair, before you feel the heat of a temptation to, to, to compromise your convictions and, and your finances, before you, why don't you put it on first? Why don't you give yourself fully to God? Why don't you kneel fully before God before you feel the heat? We're getting ready to be baptized, and the kids are going to go first. They're going to lead us. But I just want to give you guys an opportunity right now. Bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together.